the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 101 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And you'd be forgiven for thinking because it's the 101 episode that we'd be doing 101 Dalmatians. We're not. What are we doing in this episode, Darren? Well, hot on the heels of our episode 100 Urban Legends chat, we're actually going to more Urban Legends in Urban Legend, the 1998 movie. So... We've got our pop rocks and our soda, and we're all ready. We start our second century of episodes with the 1998 slasher movie Urban Legend, directed by Jamie Blanks. So this is a movie that has come straight out of my formative years. I originally came across it. I had it on VHS as a double feature with The Craft. It was the second movie on the tape. I'd seen The Craft a few times. That was one of my favourites. And we've done an episode on that. So if you haven't listened already, go check it out. But this one, I wasn't really fully aware about it, but I give it a watch. And it's very much on the heels of the Scream craze. Scream came out in 1996, revived the horror genre, and it spawned a slew of imitators. And this one came out a year after the success of Scream 2. It even features some minor actors from Scream 2 in bigger roles in this, such as Rebecca Gayhart and Joshua Jackson. This is a really fun one. I think this one for me is up there as my favourite post-Scream 90s slasher. So, what is Urban Legend about? So, I'm going to read the synopsis written by Kay Wilson on IMDb. It will include some spoilers, so be prepared. We are going to be talking in depth about this film. So, if you haven't seen the movie, pause right here, go check it out, have a great time, get some pop rocks and some soda, and join us for the synopsis. Urban Legend tells the story of a group of pretty college students at a remote New England university. The focus of the story is Natalie, a beautiful, academically gifted student who has a dark secret in her past. Natalie and her friends are enrolled in the folklore class being taught by Professor Wexler. Wexler regales his class with urban legends, which includes Pendleton's own urban legend about a psych professor who murdered his six students 25 years ago. When several students are found dead, Natalie is the first one to suspect there's a killer on campus, especially after she has ties to all of the victims. Soon enough, she finds that her friends are being picked off one by one and that her own murder will be the killer's ultimate urban legend. So, yes, this is very much Scream, but without horror movie references, we're referencing urban legends. But it's not as cleverly written or meta as Scream, but it does have some of that essence there. I think when I came to it, it was probably not long after it got released. I didn't see it at the cinema. I saw it at home. And at the time, I think 
I was getting a bit worn down by all the meta stuff and there were lots of imitators of Scream as you say and this one when I first came to it I didn't hate it but I thought it was just okay I think basically I'd had too much of this self-referential slasher stuff at the time now looking back on it with 2023 eyes and having to wade some of the most appalling shit that we've had in the slasher genre over the last 20 years Urban Legend stacks up pretty well now. I really enjoyed it on this watch. It does have a lot of horror cred in its cast. You've got Robert Englund, Daniel Harris, Brad Dourif, Julian Richens. It also has one of the most photogenic cast there. There are some very pretty people in this movie. You've got Jared Leto in an early role. You've got Joshua Jackson, who was the heartthrob from Dawson's Creek. You've got Alicia Witt. And then you have the distractingly attractive Rebecca Gayhart. Rebecca Gayhart was one of those people, whenever I saw her in a movie, I was like, everything has fallen out of my brain when I look at Rebecca Gayhart. She is so beautiful. It's like, how, how can somebody be walking the earth and looking that amazingly gorgeous? Which is kind of what the movie is banking on you of doing. It's distracting you by how sweet and cute and gorgeous Rebecca Gerhais because there's a nasty sting in the tail layer. So let's begin with the opening sequence. I think this sequence is up there with some of the more iconic slasher movie openings. So we have a young girl, she's alone in her car, driving in the middle of the night and the rain is coming down heavy. It's a very atmospheric opening. There's a very eerie score playing. And of course, she runs out of gas and then approaches the gas station where she comes across this very strange man who's got a bit of a stutter. He's played by Brad Dourif. For those who have been living under a rock, of course, he is the voice of Chucky. So that's where he becomes an iconic part of this with his role in the horror genre over the years. This scene kind of subverts expectations. So it's very much like Scream. I know it's very difficult not to talk about Scream when you're talking about this era of films and it does deserve to a point to stand on its own two feet but it is very much reminiscent of Scream in the sense that it subverts your expectations and what would typically happen in a horror movie and there is a very memorable line shouted by Brad Dourif as danger progresses in this moment and then you also have the girl singing along to Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, quite badly, but again, that just makes this scene so memorable, and it really sets the tone for what's to come, and I think there's a very menacing tone running through it, which is always really fun. You know, it does have comedy in it as well, as quite a few comedic characters in it to lighten the tone, uh, restore some balance between the horror and the comedy, I think it establishes that quite well got Joshua Jackson's character who's a bit of a joker so he comes in to lighten the mood when his scenes are there yeah opening sequence I just absolutely love it and it's a joy to watch every time I revisit this movie yeah it is a good setup actually I think certain horror films of that period were going hard with the opening sequence this is pretty good the one in Valentine another Jamie Blanks movie is pretty good and it does set you up for how the rest of the movie is going to play out. You're right, it is it's quite menacing, but you're also right in that there's quite a lot of humour to give you a bit of levity as well. For instance, 
Joshua Jackson's character. He's trying to seduce Alicia Witt's character at one point, and they're in a car, and the radio comes on, and it's the theme tune from Dawson's Creek, which Joshua Jackson immediately switches off. So it's got lots and lots of nice little references without being too wanky about it. If you're a fan of the genre or a fan of the actors, there's lots and lots of playful stuff surrounding them. You think that Robert Englund is obviously going to be a lot more menacing than he is, but he's there to be the voice of reason, really. He's the lecturer who's trying to debunk all these urban legends as well. So he's not really that menacing a character. But again, it's subverting your expectations. When Robert Englund appears on screen, you think, oh, something is obviously going to be wrong with this guy. Actually, not really. Yeah, he's got that look in his eye. He's enjoying his part in this, definitely. And I think he's enjoying playing up that menace towards the audience because you do think, oh, is it going to be him? But typically he is a red herring. In terms of the self-referential meta-dialogue in this, this is not something that I'm familiar with as such because I think we're UK viewers, but there is a reference in it later in the film, actually at the end of the movie, where the students are recounting the events of the film and they comment that Brenda, played by Rebecca Gayhart, was the girl from the Noxima commercial and apparently she did appear in these commercials in real life, so... They bring that into it as well, which is just, again, having fun with the cast they have. We have to mention Tara Reid is also in this movie. Obviously, we've covered the Sharknado films, which she stars in as well. And we've done Cruel Intentions. Actually, Tara Reid and Joshua Jackson had just filmed their scenes for Cruel Intentions before filming this movie. So that's another reason why Joshua Jackson keeps his blonde hair in this as well. I think in case he had to do any reshoots for Cruel Intentions. So that's quite a fun fact. This was such a good era. This had like the best teen actors. It was so good. And to kind of tie in with Cruel Intentions, initially Sarah Michelle Gellar had been cast in the role of Sasha before pulling out due to conflicts with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But I had previously heard it was because she didn't want to be typecast. Now, bear in mind, she had literally filmed I Know What You Did Last Summer and Scream 2 and had these elaborate chase scenes in those, some very memorable death scenes. So... I think she would just be kind of repeating herself if she'd appeared in this as well. So Tara reads a welcome addition in that role. She has quite an epic chase scene slash death scene. And I completely Mandela affected myself viewing this. And I, I just don't understand what's wrong with me. So I've seen this movie multiple times over the years. And I even recently revisited it. Me and my friends were in our 30s decided to throw ourselves a 90s slasher sleepover night where we just watched a few films of that era and that included this one, Urban Legend. And for some reason, I thought that you see the character of Sasha get thrown out of the window and she lands on a car. And when that didn't happen on this rewatch, I was just super confused. But I think I was just mixing it up with another scene which sees a killer pushed out of the window later in the film so I thought that was really weird but I, I was I swore I could see it in my head her falling out that window with the rain and the glass shattering but yeah don't know what I did there they certainly do that in one of the Friday the 13th movies somebody does go out of a window and lands on a car so maybe you were getting it crossed with one of the Friday the 13th movies and that's quite a good sequence actually when you've watched as many slasher movies as we have, you're going to get confused because it's like, okay, which death is this from? Who was the killer? Which franchise was it? So 
it's quite acceptable to think, oh, yeah, this happens in this movie, and then go back and think, oh, actually, no, it didn't. It didn't. One thing as well, with it being 1998, what you do get is 1998 technology in this movie, specifically dial-up internet, which you cannot use the phone line while the other person is on the internet. And there's a scene which actually plays on that as well, in which super stroppy goth, played by Daniel Harris, is on some sort of chat room, and Alicia Witt's character is trying to call somebody, but she can't because the internet is tied up. Oh, those were the days. Yeah, and even though Danielle Harris plays this very small role, she is very memorable and she stands out quite a lot because, as you say, she is this really grumpy goth. She's just looking to hook up with the other goth guys on campus. Which leads us to talk about the urban legends they feature in this film, and I think they're all used quite inventively. So, of course, we have the Pop Rocks, which is played on at the beginning, and then there is actually a death scene later on in the film involving Pop Rocks. Now, the character it happens to isn't the most likeable. He's a bit of a douchebag, played by Michael Rosenbaum, who you might remember from Smallville, if you ever watched that. I played Lex Luthor. That's how I mainly remember him. But, yeah, he has quite a horrific death scene with Pop Rocks and Drainer Fluid. That is after his dog explodes in the microwave. Yes, they do go there. Does the dog die.com? Yes, it does. And you do see the aftermath. And the dog did not deserve it. But I think they show enough to gross you out, but without actually showing the act itself. So I can kind of forgive it. But there didn't need to be a dog on a university campus. I'm going off on a tangent. So we have that one. And the death scene for Danielle Harris is the classic aren't you glad you didn't turn on the lights? And I love how this all plays out. So earlier in the film, Natalie walks in, turns the light on, and Daniel Harris's character is engaged in a bit of sexual activity with a nameless student. And then the next night when Natalie knows better than to turn on the lights, she goes to sleep with her roommate being brutally murdered in the bed next to her and is totally unaware until the next morning. That one is very well done. We also have the classic Lover's Lane, where the boyfriend is hung from the tree, feet scratching the car. So that one, again, the way that one's done is pretty fun too. Love these death scenes. And it's just, the film's so well paced as well. I think it's it's not overlong and it gets to its point as well. And you're just waiting for all those different set pieces to come to fruition. It sets its stall out pretty early on. It's also got that classic trope of nobody's going to believe the lead character. Even though she's seen somebody die, they can't find the body, so they think that it's the Joker who's gone off surfing for the weekend. It's all that sort of thing. The administration at the college are so dumb. There are people being killed all over the place, but they're just passing it off as other things. Daniel Harris's character, they pass that off as suicide. It's a pretty spectacular suicide as well. But it's a horror movie, it's a slasher movie. You're going to overlook these things because it's just a piece of entertainment. What you could say is like when Daniel Harris's character is dead in the room, Alicia Witt's character is there pretty much all night sleeping. That body must have reeked in the morning. But you can't pick into this sort of stuff too much because, you know, none of this would have happened anyway. It's an elaborate series of murders based around urban legends. The logistics and planning required would have had to been 
genius level. So you can't come into this and go, oh, well, that wouldn't have happened. And this couldn't have happened. None of it could have happened. It's a horror movie. You're supposed to be entertained by it. And the fact that it just gets more and more outrageous as it goes on is just fun. It's not an episode of CSI. It's a lot of college kids being menaced by a killer in a parka, which is an interesting outfit choice. It does mean that you can't see their face, which is pretty good. But apparently it was because it was initially going to be set in winter. And then when they switched it around, everybody else changed outfits. But they thought, you know, the kill looks kind of cool in it. So they left that outfit. And I mean, you don't need to have it explained to you. But of course, as well, because it's an item of clothing, which a lot of people would probably own then there's lots and lots of fake-outs with other people wearing very similar attire. So it's got all those classic horror misdirections you know and love. Absolutely. And I think even though some of the deaths are quite elaborate, and as you say, they're not meant to be scientific or, uh, as you say, that CSI kind of seriousness to it. it, it is just having fun and to be honest all of them are done better than that one sequence and I know it did last summer where they open the boot and they find the body and then within seconds it is immaculately cleaned like that scene really does my head in that is one of my pet peeves horror movie moments because of that no I completely agree with you and also yeah the killer costume is quite subtle in this it is a coat essentially and yeah they could have gone with something a little bit more elaborate they could have designed something more creative but you know it just works like it, it it doesn't bother me that that is the killer costume it just does what it needs to do and again i think it's better than the fisherman and i know you did last summer and i think even though i enjoy both films i'm not trying to do i know you did last summer down because that again is one of my most formative films i absolutely loved watching that growing up but i think what puts urban legend over the edge slightly for me is the concept and also the killer reveal. I don't like the killer reveal, and I know what you did last summer. It just loses me by that point. But I'd say, in terms of the drama and the seriousness with the characters and the character development, I know what you did last summer does that a little bit better than this. That said, I always have a great time with Urban Legend. I personally can't fault it. It's just so evocative of just a simpler time with dial up internet. <laughs> yeah, the dial up internet edge. <laughs> And yeah, you're right about I Know What You Did Last Summer. I think that has pretensions to being something slightly more, and I hate to use the term elevated in terms of a horror movie. It's trying to make it more of a character-driven piece. It's almost leaning into the thriller genre. There's more drama in it. And that's pretty good in terms of what it does. Urban Legend is just a fun, silly horror flick. It doesn't mean to be anything other than that. It's got a decent concept and it drives it as far as it possibly can. And it's got characters you'll remember and it's got set pieces which are fun without being too gross. Although some of them are nasty if you think about them. But it's not a wash with gore. Even though it is an 18 certificate movie in the UK. It's not the sort of 18 certificate movie where you're just thinking, oh my God, there's guts everywhere and there's like blood spraying the walls. It's not that sort of horror movie. It's meant to be a bit more fun. And it does reference quite a lot of other movie genres. There's certainly somebody who likes Pam Greer, because Pam Greer is referenced more than once in this movie, and it's more than one movie. Totally Clips of the Heart, obviously, 
takes me back to Cellulose Screams Karaoke because that's a big feature of the end of that. But you also get the lyric, turn around. And she really does need to turn around in the car because that's where the menace is coming from. It's putting all these little bits in the movie which you can enjoy them, you can take them if you want, you can leave them. It's one of those movies that probably was trying to get out of the shadow of Scream and Scream cast an awfully big shadow over this kind of movie and maybe wasn't as appreciated as it could have been on its release. But looking back now, and certainly, as I've alluded to, with some of the stuff that we've had over the last 10, 20 years that have tried to break into the slasher genre, the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, it was pretty much a golden period for slasher movies. Oh, 100%. It's my favourite era of slasher because if it wasn't for me getting into these movies, I wouldn't have been a horror fan at all. This was the catalyst for me. These movies, they're my generation, and that's why I absolutely love them. And as I say, I am talking out of a place of love and nostalgia for Urban Legend. Uh, but yeah, going back to the character of Loretta the Cop, um, who is very much into her black exploitation movies, she's a bit of a breakout character in this film. She, again, lightens the mood a lot. Again, she subverts expectations because she comes across as a bit of a bumbling cop to begin with where she's not really taking note much of what's going on around her because she's so invested in being the next Pam Greer and watching her videotapes. But she she does come good, and as I say, the character will surprise you a bit, and I think that's quite fun. There's a lot of comparison with Scream, and essentially people have drawn out that the characters in Urban Legends are basically counterparts to the characters in Scream, so Loretta is compared to Dewey. I can kind of see similar comparison. And then we get on to the Gale Weathers of this film, or a very low-rent copy of Gale Weathers. So we're going to talk about Jared Leto's character here. Upon research, I have discovered Jared Leto will not speak about his involvement in the film Urban Legend. He is that embarrassed by it that he doesn't want to even acknowledge it. And I think, what a snob. If you didn't have this film in your career, you wouldn't be where you are now. Fuck you, Jared Leto. I don't care what you think about Urban Legend and... You're not my favourite character in this film and you should have been killed off. But he is very much trying to be the ruthless journalist of this movie. And it's kind of annoying they make him the love interest as well. I don't really think this film needed a love interest as such. But, you know, they always have to throw that bit of romance in there just as a, a bit extra. But I didn't care for it. I think he's all right in this movie and I don't know why he won't want to talk about it. Because, I mean, he doesn't give a terrible performance. Yeah, his character, it's a bit of a dead end. So, but yeah, it's a dick and it's a bit of a dead end role. And he really is there to provide another suspect as we get towards the end. And he is outshone by the female characters in the movie. But that's just due to how the writing is, I think, because the focus is on the female characters in the movie. And that's where all the drama is driven from. He's there as the investigative student journalist in the background to provide a bit of exposition and to do some of the investigating and to buddy up with Natalie at some points in the movie. But for him to say, I don't want to talk about it, why does he not want to talk about it? Because it's a horror movie. It's not even a low-rent horror movie, Urban Legend. There's obviously a bit of money behind it. It's fairly well regarded by horror fans, even if it's not well regarded by critics. 
So for him to sit there and say, I just don't want to say anything about urban legend, why not? There are plenty of actors who've got their starts in horror movies who love to talk about them. And it's been a springboard for bigger and better roles. Somebody obviously saw Jared Leto in Urban Legend and thought, oh, I want this guy for my next movie. And that catapulted him into bigger and better things. So what's your problem, Jared? I don't see what the issue is here. Talk about Urban Legend, even if it's just to say, oh, I remember being in that movie and it was fine and I had a good time on it. But no, you know, you want to sort of pour cold water on it. Yeah, you've been great in some stuff. Requiem for a Dream, you're absolutely astonishing in that. It's a brilliant movie. House of Gucci, what the fuck were you doing in House of Gucci? You were in a different movie, Jared. I cannot work out your performance in that. But there you go. Who knows what goes through the mind of Jared Leto? Certainly not anything to do with urban legend, that's for sure. Yeah, and I don't think you'll ever get the answer because you're never going to talk about it. So... That's the whole thing. It's a lot of snobbery there for the horror genre with taking that stance. But as I say, he wouldn't have been where he is today without this film. So my next question is, when you first saw this movie, was the killer reveal expected or unexpected? I think as it got further on, I'd got who it was. First half, I was thinking, yeah, it could be anybody. But they were dropping slight hints. And by the end of it, I thought, yeah, this isn't totally unexpected. And weirdly enough, what got me to the killer was something very, very early on in the movie, which is said by Rebecca Gerhardt's character. And it's a throwaway line, but it's not a throwaway line. And she says something along the lines of, oh, that's why I transferred here. And it was like, oh, right. She's come here because she's going to get revenge on somebody. There you go. And also, the reveal is apparently staring us in the face throughout the whole movie. Um, (laughs) Because if you speak Latin, you will get it. So it's a main factor of this movie is Pendleton University's motto. I'm not sure I'm going to say this right, so Darren may have to repeat it. Amicum optimum factum, which in Latin translates to the best friend did it. Yeah. Very clever. Very clever sneaking that in there. And again, it's really funny how they made it that obvious. I mean, I don't know why they decided to put that in there. Because if you can read Latin, it'll spoil the whole movie for you. But I do think this killer reveal is genius because you don't often suspect it is going to be the best friend. Again, she's compared to kind of like the Tatum of this film, the Rose McGowan part in Scream, obviously. So I think... In these slasher films, prior to this, of course, you had, as I say, Rose McGowan and Nev Campbell as best friends in Scream. Then you had Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar in I Know You Did Last Summer. And those were genuine, tragic female friendships where one of the girls gets brutally murdered and the impact it has on the survivor. And then in this, they completely flip that on its head. And I think it's great. And what a crazy performance Rebecca Gayhart gives. She just switches gears completely in this and she just goes for it and it is just an absolute joy to watch she's just got the crazy eyes she's taking no prisoners and then we actually get a taste of a scene that actually happens in the sequel but her character threatens it in this one it's the the, uh, kidney heist which is the classic waking up in a bathtub of ice missing a kidney you don't know what's happened to you and the fact that she kind of 
threatens this i'm saving my favorite urban legend for you and then she's like oh i don't have any anesthesia and then she's like oh i was no good in anatomy so um, i'm just going to grab the first organ i find and she just gets madder and madder throughout it and it's just such a great killer reveal it's definitely up there in the slasher genre absolutely brilliant yeah, I love Rebecca Gayhart's performance in this. When she snaps, oh, does she snap? She's completely off the rails. And she does commit to it as well. She's pretty convincing as a complete psycho, considering she's been sweet and nice for the rest of the movie and wouldn't say boo to a ghost and is providing sisterly advice. All of a sudden, no, all bets are off. She's just wanting to murder everybody that comes across her path. And it's a nice flip to what you would normally get in this sort of slasher movie. Of course, what doesn't flip is when you think she's dead, of course she isn't dead. She's going to come back. It's an urban legend after all. I do like the twist. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. It's that nonsensical. It could never truly happen. But I think logic is out the window in this film. and You have to accept that. You just have to go with it. And... I love the fact that at the very end of the movie, we've got a fresh batch of college students and they're discussing the events of what happens at Pendleton University. And then the camera shoots to her and she's got a wig on, so she's got a little bit of a disguise, but we know it's her. And she's like, I'll tell you how the story really goes. And it's just like, perfect ending. It just does it in such a fun way. And you need a bit of a twist in a film like this. You can't just let everything kind of go off on a happy ending. It needs just to have that last kind of scare, I suppose. I mean, it's not a jump scare or anything like that, but that nice little twist to close things off. I really like that about it. The whole movie goes batshit by the end. As I say, just throw any logic out the window because it doesn't need to be there. Interestingly, when I've listened to other podcasts, when they've discussed Urban Legend, there's been kind of a lot of discussion of how the final girl in this film isn't that memorable. She's very one note. And I kind of see it, I think, upon rewatches, I warm to her a bit more. But when it comes to Urban Legend, she's not the first thing I think about. I think about other characters, more of the side characters. And this is one where I really enjoy the villain more than the main character, which is interesting. The motive, it's, it's very basic. It's very paint-by-numbers. It's just classic revenge plot. You don't have to think too hard about it. Yeah, she is the most memorable thing about the movie. Alicia Witt. Pretty good performance, but I think because of where the character comes from and because of what the character goes through, she almost has to dial it down. So she's affected by a lot of what's happening throughout the movie. So it paves the way for somebody like Rebecca Gayhart to just march in and steal the movie with her over-the-top killer stylings at the end. I like the fact that it brings the movie around full circle at the end. Of course, some people are going to say, well, you know, the villain gets away with it. Fine, fine, because it's a horror movie. It's not real life. And a small part of me just kind of wanted Rebecca Gerhardt's character to get away with it as well, because some of the people that she disposes of are knobs, to be perfectly honest. And I'm not saying that she'll be killed just for being a knob, but in the arena that is the slasher movie, Nobs die. People who have sex die, knobs die as well. I'm not saying they're asking for it, but in this sort of movie environment, when there are no consequences, people don't really die in this movie. So at the end, I'm kind of sneakily 
admiring the Rebecca Gerhardt characters like, yeah, because she's still out there and she might be slaughtering her way through a new batch of unsuspecting college kids. Bring it on. You can't take this movie seriously at all. It's winking at you all the way through with all the references. So by the end of it, this is just the last wink. It's like, yeah, well, you didn't think we were going to do this. Well, there you go. Some people might get pissed off by that. That kind of circular ending where it's come back round. We're going to do it all again. But I kind of like that in this movie because it sets up a fresh batch of urban legends and it makes the story of urban legend a new urban legend. So it's going back. It's the meta thing again. But in this, as I said before, it's not done in a really wanky or oh, look what we're doing sort of way. It's just there. They reference it really quickly. Cut to black. End credits. Absolutely. And this film spawned two sequels. We have Urban Legends Final Cut, which was released in 2000, two years later. Different batch of characters in it, but I have an absolute soft spot for it. I actually did rewatch it after rewatching this one because it had been a while. It's not the best movie ever, but I enjoy it, basically. Following that, there was a kind of a non-related sequel that went more in a more supernatural direction, which is Urban Legends Bloody Mary, which I've seen once and I don't intend to watch again because it was one of the worst films I'd ever seen. And fascinatingly, when you go on IMDb on Rebecca Gayhart's filmography and you click Upcoming Projects, She's reprising her role as Brenda Bates in Urban Legend, allegedly. Now, the rumour mill has stirred since the revival of the Scream franchise. We've had two movies come out and I believe there may be plans for a Know What You Did Last Summer reboot. And clearly they want to reboot Urban Legend. So far, they have Catherine McNamara cast, Rebecca Gayhart and Loretta Devine as Reese. I do apologise, I was referring to her as Loretta, which is the actress's name, the character is Reese. So those three are cast in it, and the synopsis says, a diverse cast of college students as they navigate a series of bizarre deaths that resemble urban legends linked to the darkest corners of social media. So we could be bringing urban legend up to date. I am very intrigued. Could be good. If they're going to update it to take advantage of modern technology, pretty good. Also, if they are going to bring Rebecca Gayhart back, masterstroke at the end of the first one you think we haven't heard the last of brenda bates and clearly we haven't heard the last of brenda bates she's terrorizing an entirely new generation of people maybe so i wonder if she'll be like a college professor in this one in disguise i mean i hope she's not the killer because i think it would be quite fascinating to have another killer causing a rampage on campus and then her trying to uncover that that could be quite an interesting take on it be like killer versus killer because initially Wes Craven's plan for Scream 5 following the fourth one was to keep Emma Roberts's character alive take her on to college and a new killer would appear to terrorize a whole new slew of victims so I think if it maybe takes that idea as well that could be interesting so Let's watch this space with that one. Will there be a new Urban Legend movie? I mean, it's listed, so we can only hope this is real and, and not a fake. So, unfortunately, the critics have been pretty unkind to this one. It's only got a middling 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb. 
and Rotten Tomatoes is incredibly unkind. There's a 24% tomato meter and a 37% audience score. I mean, they obviously don't share the appreciation that I do for this. And there's been some movies we've covered that have had really high critic and audience scores. And I'm like thinking, where has this come from? So all subjective, of course. Yeah, I can see why the critics don't like this because it's too playful, it's too disposable, and it's not probably serious enough for horror critics. I mean, people who like psychologically deep or multi-layered horror movies that tap into various things like theology and that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, I love all of that stuff, but at some point... I just want to sit down and watch a movie like Urban Legend, which I don't have to tax my brain too much and be entertained. It's got decent performances in. It's got a little bit of gore, but not too much. It's fun. And you've got a batshit final act as well. But I guess when you're looking for something slightly more different in the horror genre, and I don't think this suffers from this kind of elevated horror bullshit that's going on because it's had a few years to get some traction and get a lot of different reviews. But I think there is a little bit of a swing towards only liking horror movies that are worthy in some way. And I don't mind that. And I like the fact that horror is encompassing more challenging stuff. And, you know, it's almost taking its place in the mainstream. But at the same time, I just like a slasher movie. There's no rhyme or reason. Sometimes I just like to sit at home kick back, switch the lights off, and just watch lots and lots of stupid people getting killed. That's a weird thing. Maybe not a lot of people do that, but that that is my leisure time. And for somebody to say, oh, well, you know, it's just a throwaway piece of garbage. Hey, I like throwaway pieces of garbage, so sue me. I wouldn't even say this is garbage. This is just such a fun movie. To me, it's the definition of a popcorn slasher movie and it's one that I had a blast putting on with my friends and revisiting one of my friends hadn't seen it before my other friend had so it was kind of fun just sitting there in anticipation seeing how the friend who hadn't seen it would react but we had a great time and it's definitely one of those movies you want to have fun with you don't want to overthink it and I think it's the kind of one you can put on in the background as well I think it's just got all those elements to it I think it would be really fun to watch in a cinema with an audience hopefully one day that will happen for me but yeah, I agree with you as well. It does spread its goal wisely, which is nice because you don't want it in your face. And I think it has much more of an impact. So for me, Urban Legend has a great cast, great set pieces, memorable death scenes. It uses its concept really creatively. And it's a snapshot of that golden 90s post-scream slasher era. And I'm there for it. Give me one of those movies and I will be all over it. When it comes to that period in time, I think definitely Urban Legend, I know what you did last summer, take the crowns for the best ones that came up to screen. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 101 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep up to date with our content and check out our past episodes, You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at the HD Movie Podcast. Next, it's that time of year. The weather's getting warmer. It's time to head down to the beach and the sea. It's the third instalment of Summer of Sharks. Oh yes, summer has really started. 
And kind of a nice transition here. We've already talked about a Tara Reid movie and we're getting back into a Tara Reid movie. We are going to be covering the fifth instalment of the Sharknado franchise. We are going to complete this monster. Trust us. So join us for the first episode of Summer of Shark, Sharknado 5, Global Swarming. Until then, stay safe, everybody. Watch the water and we'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbeat.